So we are continuing our series entitled Compromised Christianity. Now, compromise is not always a bad thing. Most of our relationships require compromise, uh, so compromise can be a good thing, but it can be a bad thing, like compromising our faith. Uh, compromising our faith, you know, it can make life easier. It doesn't always seem like that big of a deal, and sometimes we don't even realize that we are compromising our faith. But in this series, we are highlighting ways we compromise our faith and how our faith is weakened when we give ground, whether it is compromising the tenets of our faith, blending our faith with something idolatrous, which is called syncretism, or compromising our commitment to the community of faith. Christian faith is meant to be lived in community, and when we compromise our commitment to the community of faith, our faith is much easier to snuff out. Um, or we can compromise our commitment to biblical morality. There were values that Jesus held and lived by, and as followers of Jesus, we are called to live by those same values, but our hearts are inclined to live by different values, which lead us to compromising how Jesus called us to live. One of our directives here at TFRC is transformed lives, where we live visibly different lives because of our faith in Jesus. There is no more powerful witness to our faith than transformed lives. Lives transformed because of our faith in Jesus. And the evil one knows this, which is why he was always trying to get us to compromise. This morning, we are looking at compromised consumption. Now, not talking about what we eat, but rather the things we consume which impact our minds. Social media and television and news and movies and music. Do we compromise with what we consume? Which then in turn impacts how we view the world and negatively influences our attitude towards others and to life in general. Our scripture for this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Philippians is about halfway through the New Testament. You have the four Gospels, and then Acts, and Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and then you hit Philippians. Um, so it's Philippians 4, 6 to 8. You can also look it up on your phones if you would like. But Paul addresses a topic very relevant for us today which is anxiety. Our scripture reader is Miriam Kelso. So Miriam, if you can make your way on up to the podium. As she does, let me ask if you can please stand if you're able and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room because scripture is central to our faith. It is the primary lens we view our faith by. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so Miriam, whenever you are ready, please read from Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your re request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Miriam, thank you very much. Great job. You may be seated. Okay, now do we have any roller coaster enthusiasts here? 
Anyone? Okay. All right. Now, I've had a mixed relationship with roller coasters over my life. Uh, when I was a young kid, you know, eight, nine years old, I was afraid uh, to go on them. My anxiety about them outweighed the potential fun. They looked scary. Uh, you could hear people that went on them. They would scream the whole time. Um, the names of roller coasters don't help. Uh, they're frightening. You know, names like Viper or the Demon or the Apocalypse or the Black Mamba or Cannibal or El Diablo, or Scream, or Tsunami, or The Undertow. No one names a roller coaster Basket of Kittens, <laughs> or Candy Canes and Lollipops. No, it's always something like Inferno, or The Python Pit, or Raging Bull. So as a kid, I was afraid of roller coasters. Now, when I was a teenager in 20-something, I loved them. Now, I was still nervous and anxious at the beginning, but I tolerated that anxiety because I knew it was going to be fun. The fun outweighed the anxiety. And then once we had kids, uh, Shannon and I didn't do roller coasters much because if we went to a theme park, we spent time on the kiddie rides. Uh, by the time we were in our mid-30s, it had been a while since we went on a roller coaster. But there was one time when our kids were little and we went to uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Anyone been to Knott's Berry Farm? Okay, good, quick, put your hands down before people realize you're from California. Um, <laughs> and Shannon's dad offered to wash the kids while we went on an old roller coaster favorite, catch the name, Matazuma's Revenge. Um, now, as roller coasters go, it's really not that bad. You take off, you go through a loop, you kind of hit a peak, you go backwards through the loop, and you kind of another peak, and you do that a couple times. It really is not that big of a deal as roller coasters go. And a decade earlier, Shannon and I could do that ride 10 times in a row, and not a problem. Well, we went on the ride, we got off the ride, we looked at each other, and we vowed, never again. We are not doing that again. So a few years later, we're back at Knott's Berry Farm, and now our kids are a little older, and our two older kids are in that loving roller coaster stage. And they wanted to go on a roller coaster called the Ghost Rider. Um, and so I volunteered to stay with our youngest while Shannon took the older kids on the roller coaster. <laughs> Apparently, the initial drop was so long that they only made it halfway down before Shannon ran out of breath screaming. Um, and then at the end of the day, when my middle child wanted to go on one more roller coaster, my wife looked at me and said, it's your turn. And so I was torn because I wanted to have this experience with my 10-year-old daughter. I wanted to be a good dad. And yet I really didn't want to go on this roller coaster, okay? Now I agreed to go and I worked really hard to hide my anxiety from my child. Now we were walking towards the entrance um, of the roller coaster. I can't remember the name of the roller coaster. It was something like Satanic Wormhole of Torture and Death, something like that. And we were getting in line and the ride broke down. Oh, yeah, exactly. Thank you. I tried really hard not to act disappointed, um, or to act disappointed, I mean. I have always had some level of anxiety about roller coasters. And they used to be fun, which outweighed my anxiety, but now they're not as fun as they used to be. And so my anxiety outweighs the fun. And so as we talk about compromise consumption, I want to begin by focusing on anxiety because that is where our passage begins. It begins with anxiety. Going back to verse six, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We live in a world filled with anxiety. And that's really always been the case. Now, while the causes of our anxiety may be different, the fact that we have anxiety is nothing new. What does seem to be increasing is that for many of us, our anxiety outweighs the joy of life. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. Nearly 20% of adults, that is one in five, suffer from a diagnosable anxiety disorder. That number jumps to 30% for teenagers. For many of us, our anxiety outweighs the joy of life. The Bible was way ahead of its time on this. The Bible has always seen fear as the number one suffering of humanity. The word anxiety in verse 6 literally means taking thought. So how do you know if you have fear? Well, what do you take thought about? What do you worry about? What makes you nervous? What are you trying to avoid? What do you hope never happens? Those are your fears, and we all have them. The passage says to not be anxious about anything, and over 100 times in the Bible, we are told to either fear not or do not be afraid, something in that nature. Jesus said, to not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Over and over and over again, we are told to not be afraid. And the material in the Bible covers well over a thousand years in time. So fear and anxiety are always topics it is addressing. From Abraham to the apostles, there is fear and anxiety. As followers of Jesus, we are called to faith, not faith. Fear. And if anyone in the world is going to bring hope to a world of fear, it's us. Yet many times, followers of Jesus are full of fear. I hear this all the time. People worried about what is happening to our world and our country. And every time we get caught up in worldly worry, we compromise our faith. When we are anxious, we are told not to worry, but we are told to pray, to petition, to give thanks, and to make our requests known to God. Now, I'll be the first to confess, I don't do that very well. Instead of praying, I worry. Instead of petitioning, I fret. Instead of giving thanks, I get angry. And instead of making requests, I make judgments. Anxiety and fear are common. And we compromise our faith with our fear. And the Bible makes clear what our response is to be. The passage tells us to not be anxious. But then it tells us what we should think about. What we should affirm. Going back to the passage in verses 7 and 8. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. First it says, uh, we pray and petition and give thanks and make requests. And then there is this transcending peace of God. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. And don't miss that. It will guard our minds. It guards our thoughts. Then you have this word, finally. That word, finally, is not introducing a new subject. It is a continuation of the current subject on anxiety. It says, don't be anxious. Pray, petition, give thanks, make requests. The peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. And then think about these things. Now, you can't just tell someone to not think about something. You can't just say, don't be anxious. It's sort of like if I were to tell you, don't think about the Statue of Liberty. Don't think about the Statue of Liberty. What are all of you thinking about? The Statue of Liberty, okay? If, you, if I don't want you to think about the Statue of Liberty, I need to give you something else to think about. And earlier I said that word for anxiety means to take thought. And the passage is saying, don't take thought of your worries. And then it turns and tells us what should take our thoughts. And then think about these things. And to think about such things means that you should take them into account. You should reflect upon them. Allow them to shape how you think and how you behave. And I wonder how many times we just read those words and don't think twice about them, which is literally the opposite of what the passage just told us to do. So let's take a moment and think about these things. The first thing is what is true. Whatever is true. True is an actual occurrence. Things that are true are things that actually happen. The gospel is real. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that it's real and that it changes everything. God loves us. God is with us. God has given us friends and family. God has gifted us. God has given us talents. He has a purpose for all of us. All of that is true. Think about that. Noble means things that are dignified. These are things that are worthy of respect. Now, there are lots of things that are worthy of respect. I'm just going to talk about one. There are those who serve in our community by feeding the hungry, providing shelter for the homeless, care for the elderly, work with kids in need. You know, if you ever get a chance, go to a place like the Mustard Seed and look at the people who serve. And that's just one example. There are hundreds of people who serve in our community and are worthy of our respect. Think about them. Whatever is right, things that are right are as things ought to be. So this isn't to think about, this isn't a how terrible things are. This is noticing when things are as they should be. 
There are lots of parents who sacrifice for their kids. There are kids who honor their parents, and that includes adult kids honoring elderly parents. There are people who are generous. There are people who are honest. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it is here. And one aspect of the kingdom is people submitting to the rule of God. It happens all the time. Notice it and think about what is right. Pure is something that is unblemished. And there's this phrase, pure gold. Now, gold is some, pure gold is something, is gold that has nothing mixed with it. It's pure gold. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pure gold, but even if you haven't, you can probably picture what it's like. Well, there's lots of things that we haven't seen that we probably could picture what it's like. Have you ever thought about that? What pure joy might look like? Or what pure kindness might look like? Or what pure gentleness might look like? Or what might pure forgiveness look like? Or what might pure goodness look like? You may never see it, but you can probably picture what it could look like. Think about that. Whatever is lovely, which is whatever is pleasing, and I'm just gonna put a picture up to illustrate this. Go ahead and put that picture up. See, that's what they did in the first service. Ah. Okay, two things. First of all, these are adorable babies. Babies are adorable. Second, and more important, they're sleeping. Sleeping babies are adorable, all right? Few things are as lovely as sleeping babies. Now, I'm sure you could come up with all kinds of lovely and pleasing pictures. Think about that. Admirable. Admirable is speaking well of something. The Greek word for admirable here is the same word we get for euphemism. Euphemism. Now, a euphemism is simply a way of, to speak well of something. And it's usually, we use euphemisms usually with things that are kind of embarrassing or social no-nos to talk about. You know, for example, if we're going to talk about the bathroom, we don't have to be crass about it. We can use a euphemism. My favorite ones for bathroom are potty and boom boom. They are innocent ways of talking about something embarrassing. But you see, we can speak well with almost anything. What is the most admirable way of talking about something or someone? Think about it. Then there is whatever is excellent, which is moral goodness, moral virtues, things like wisdom, justice, fortitude, self-control, Faith, hope, love, generosity, patience, mercy, diligence. Think about that. 
or things that are praiseworthy, things that are commendable. Things that are praiseworthy are things that literally we applaud. We applaud because that's a form of praising. Now, there are lots of things that we applaud that we shouldn't. But a good question to think about, to reflect upon, to ponder, is what do you think God applauds? We know from Scripture that God rejoices when people repent and come to faith. But what might there be, what other things, maybe, do you think God applauds? Think about it. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we stick our heads in the sand and pretend nothing bad happens. Let's be honest, that's not even possible. The reality is we are bombarded with negativity all the time. Anxiety is at our door 24-7. It is inescapable. And if we don't do what the Bible prescribes, our faith will be compromised. And we will not fulfill our calling to be salt and light in the world. We are going to be confronted with the ugliness of the world and that will make us anxious. And when we are anxious, we take our requests to God, we receive his peace, and then we focus on that which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Now, there are a few things I want us to account for. If we are naive about the impact these things have on us, we will put ourselves in position where our faith will be compromised by fear and we won't even realize what's happening. And so the first thing I want us to take account for is the news. Please be careful of your consumption of the news. There was a day when the news was more about giving information than setting a narrative. There was actually something called the Fairness Doctrine, where news organizations were by law forced to give equal time to different sides of controversial issues. The Fairness Doctrine is no more, it's been gone for decades. So news organizations, they need to make a profit. Well, they do that not by giving objective news, but by sharing news in a way that fits a narrative. There are news organizations with progressive narratives, and there are news organizations with conservative narratives. And it is good news business <laughs> to share stories in such a way that reinforce what you believe and make the other side and those people be evil. Now, I try to get my news from both conservative and progressive sources to at least attempt to see issues from multiple sides. But I find that sometimes it doesn't matter what news I consume. It will eventually make me angry and discouraged. So we have to pay attention to what is happening in our world, but please be mindful when you consume the news because it can feed your anxiety and compromise your faith.
Second, let's take account for social media. Now, if a lot on what we see on TV isn't true, and even more of what we see on the internet isn't true, then there is very little on social media that's true. Social media is a major contributor to our anxiety because what people post about their lives on social media is all about image. People mostly post all the great things in their lives. And then we look at those posts and compare our actual lives. And we conclude that our lives are nowhere near as good as everyone else. It's a lie. No one's life is as good as their social media pretense. Case in point, I went to the Rose Bowl this year. My son's a Utah alum. They made it to the Rose Bowl. We decided to go. Here's a picture of our seats. This is what I would post on social media. Pretty good seats, right? We were really close to the field. And we were at the historic Rose Bowl with 95,000 other people. It was epic. And if I post this on social media, this is all you see. Well, here's what the picture doesn't show. It took us an hour just to get into the parking lot. And there were 95,000 people there. Now, if you go to a Boise State game, there's about 30,000 people there. Triple that. That's how many people were there. They were everywhere. And then as you can see, when the action on the game was on the other side of the field, we couldn't see it. We had to watch it on the large screens in the stadium, like we would if we would have stayed at home. And then Utah's quarterback got hurt in the second half, and the game was a disaster after that. And we left the game early because it was so bad. And then as we were, la- as it, we were leaving, it started to rain. I was wearing Hey Dudes. Those are not good rain shoes. And even though we left early, it still took us 90 minutes to get out of the parking lot. In that 90 minutes, some people behind us got into a verbal fight. They got out of their cars and started yelling at each other. I told everyone in the car, lock the doors. (laughs) None of that's in the picture. Now, it was still a good time, and I'm glad we went, but the picture only tells 10% of the story. That is true with like almost all social media postings. Don't believe it. Just remember that. I'm not saying don't ever do social media. Just remember this when you are on it. And then the last thing I want to take account for are things like movies and music and streaming. We can watch whatever movies we want. We can customize our music. Our streaming services let us dictate what kind of shows we watch. We've never had more control over our media consumption than today. But how much of what we consume, how much of what you consume is that which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? Now, I'm not going to make a rule about what ratings you should limit yourself to. Just be mindful of what it is you're consuming. Is what you are watching or listening to Does it alter your thinking for the worse? Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, also wrote Romans. And Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform 
to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the good news is this isn't very complex. It's kind of simple. When we're anxious, we make our requests known to God, receive God's peace, change our focus. And I'm not saying that this should replace your professional treatment, but this is going to help. We live in a world of anxiety. Where, and we are called to be salt and light. We are called to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us. And we can't do that when our fear compromises our faith. We are to live visibly different lives because of our faith in Jesus. And imagine, imagine the difference it will make in our lives when we bring our concerns to God, receive his peace, and focus our minds on what is good and godly. And then imagine the impact bringing that peace and that mindset to a chaotic world. Imagine the impact that could make. Please pray with me. And Lord, we are grateful that when we come to you with our anxiety and make our requests known to you, that you give us your peace. And Lord, help us renew our minds and focus on those things which are good in your eyes. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.